This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Part of what makes this cause sadness in the wicked is that if you do not love God, there's no assurance uh, here to plant yourself in uh, or to take confidence in. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend, co-host, James Dalzell. And James, today you are the one in the hot seat, I guess we could say. We're, sure. We're going we're gonna to have a, it's, it's not a hot seat. We're going to have a conversation about a book that is has been especially important to you that you want to uh, spend some time talking about. It's also a book that's had an influence on my life too. I would highly recommend this book. It's entitled, the current title is All Things for Good by Thomas Watson. So James, start out by telling us a little bit about this book and about what Watson is trying to do in All Things for Good. Well, listeners will know that the title is taken, uh, the current title, it was originally called A Divine Cordial. A cordial was a medicinal drink yes. that, you could, that you could have when you were unwell. And uh, the, the Banner of Truth probably rightly assessed that a divine cordial was not going to move books off of bookshelves. Although, although it's worth mentioning that in the latest cover, it's not the copy I have, it's not the copy you have, but in their most recent cover, it says all things for good, but it has a kind of bottle of what looks to me to be sort of cough syrup being poured into a spoon. And oh, so they get the divine cordial in the picture. My picture has cloudy skies with some bright behind it, which is also emblematic of dark providences. But you're right, a divine cordial, a, a bit of medicine you take when unwell. And that's what he was designing. But All Things for Good is his text. The book is really, it, it reads like a series of sermons, doctrinal expositions of the familiar text in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it's really an exemplary doctrinal exposition. Now, that verse could be preached in a single sermon uh, and, and done well. But what Watson does is he settles down on it uh, to open it up piece by piece and to make a series of doctrinal observations all relevant to that text. Yeah. Watson begins with, I, I think, an arresting quote where he says, there are two great difficulties in pastoral ministry that I face. And so this book is an attempt to answer both. So, so talk about the two great difficulties of pastoral ministry. Okay, well, this uh, maybe just an ex. This is the banner puts it up here an extract from the preface to the Christian reader. There are two things which I have always looked upon as difficult. The one is to make the wicked sad, the other is to make the godly joyful. Dejection in the godly arises from a double spring, either because their inward comforts are darkened or their outward comforts are disturbed. To cure both these troubles, I have put forth this ensuing piece hoping by the blessing of God that it will buoy up their desponding hearts and make them look with a more pleasant aspect. I would prescribe them to take now and then a little of this cordial. And then here's the cordial. Here's the medicine. All things work together for good to them that love God. To know that nothing hurts the godly is a matter of comfort. To be assured that all things which fall out shall cooperate for their good and their crosses shall be turned into blessings, that showers of affliction water the withering root of their grace and make it flourish more. This may fill their hearts with joy till they run over. 
So in other words, he's saying, this is the medicine I'm giving you for one of two things, either making the ungodly sad um, when they, they should be, or more often in his pastoral ministry and probably in the pastoral ministry of any of our listeners to make the godly joyful in the midst of difficulties. Right. It's a book that could be given to somebody who's going through any particular kind of trial, physical, spiritual, familial, you know, mm-hmm. what, whatever. It's the kind of book that's going to give you um, really biblical and doctrinal strength and muscle to bear up under any sort of affliction. And I I don't know that I read it originally as a college student because of any particular affliction I was going through, but it was short and it seemed readable and I was trying to find my way into the Puritans. And so I I went for this and and found it really striking. So do you want to hit a few of the points? I do, I do, I do. I want to hit a few points, but I want to just make one more comment about the background because isn't it the case that Watson wrote this the year after he and around 2,000 other ministers were ejected. Right. 1662, the great ejection in which many uh, ministers in the Church of England, nonconformists to uh, a high church liturgy, uh, were forcibly removed from their pulpits. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in the ensuing years, uh, a number of measures were passed by a, a clearly hostile parliament Uh, that made it increasingly difficult for them to make any sort of living as a minister of the gospel. I'm thinking of other acts like the Five Mile Act that forbade a minister to live within five miles of the parish Mm. where he had previously ministered. But in a day where everyone travels by horses, to live five miles away is an exile that puts you beyond any scope of, you know— active ministry or usefulness. And so it's not like he's just simply speaking from a— position of personal comfort telling everyone who's really struggling, oh, it's going to be fine. This right. is He's writing this in the midst of personal difficulty brought on him by the politics of his time. Right. And I think that's important because sometimes when we recite this verse to other people or even to ourselves as we go through difficulties, it can seem a little you know, distant from, from the actual difficulty. If someone comes up to you while you're struggling and, and quotes Romans 8.28, you can be tempted to say, you just don't understand. Right. That's It, it can seem superficial. Right. Um, and I think what the reader's going to get in reading Watson, All Things for Good, is the voice of, or the pen in this case, of someone who is writing it in the midst of great personal difficulty. And you get the sense that he's thinking through these things in terms of doctrine and application for himself as well. And I think that strengthens his communication of them. So as he um, unfolds this doctrine, what are what are the major points that he seeks to drive home? All of the chapters in the book are a kind of consecutive doctrinal exposition of that one text in Romans 8, 28. And he begins by saying that the best things work for the good of the godly. Uh, Maybe a quick caveat on this. He hits it at the end of the book. Um, Some have used this text to simply say, well, all things work together for good. But the text says they work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So that this isn't the kind of cordial, so to speak, that we can give to any person whatsoever. And part of what makes this cause sadness in the wicked is Mm -hmm. that if you do not love God, there's no assurance 
uh, here to plant yourself in uh, or to take confidence in? Well, he mm-hmm. begins, the best things work together for the good of the godly. And in some sense, you think, that sounds about right. He gives a number of different, he just surveys a number of things that work together for our good. The attributes of God. And he doesn't give an exhaustive discussion of divine attributes, but he recounts some familiar and well-known attributes of God and explains um, how these, in fact, work for our good, whether they're divine power or divine goodness or mercy. Uh, he speaks also of the promises of God, and he gives good he gives good direction on how Christians can lay hold of the promises of Scripture. I think P.B. Power called it the I wills of Scripture, either of the Psalms or of Christ, and how the Christian can make personal application of, of promises. He speaks of the mercies of God and the grace of the Spirit. One section that really uh, strikes me in this first chapter is he speaks about how the work of angels works for the good of uh, the saints. And he goes on for a while about the work of the angels, referencing a number of different texts where the angels work on behalf of God for the good of the saints. I'll be honest, something that I don't probably think enough about, how the angels of God are currently ministering spirits on his behalf for my encouragement, for my good. He points also to the communion of the saints uh, and encourages us, you know, to to live our lives in solidarity with the body of Christ and all the benefits that we receive from that. He speaks also of the intercession of Christ first, and then also the intercession of the saints. So, just what we might call various um, sources of grace or means of grace uh, that he surveys. And I, here's what's good about this: it just helps you set your mind concretely on what those things are that God has designed to strengthen your heart, to encourage you, whether it's whether you're struggling with sin or with discouragement or bereavement or a loss of any sort. This is what I like about it. It's not esoteric. Right. It's very concrete and chock full of scripture. Yeah, I think Watson is particularly commendable in that he is very concrete. You're right. He labors to make this something substantial that you can easily apply to your own life. It's not just an an abstraction sort of floating out there for him. So the next concrete thing then that he goes after in his second chapter, it's titled this way, the worst things work for good to the godly. Mm. And this is the one that I think may really interest readers is how do how do evil afflictions, and he even gets into the discussion, how do even my own my own succumbing to temptation, even my own sin, how could this, in other words, is it really all things that mm-hmm. God causes to work together for my good, or is it only certain things sometimes? And he really is trying to stress that it's all things. And so he begins with the evil of affliction. And of course, not surprisingly, he points to some Old Testament passages, Ruth 121, the Almighty hath afflicted me. Then he also points to the words of Job. Um, Job has been deprived of his children and his health and his goods uh, and even the support of his wife. And then he says, the Lord hath taken away. Watson says, whoever brings an affliction to us, it is God that sends it. And you might think to yourself, well, that's not going to encourage me. That's going to discourage me. But Watson's point is that for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, that it is he who has called us and he who has placed his love upon us that sends to us messengers bringing affliction should be an encouragement to us, that there's a fatherly care and a wisdom at work here. And even refers to the Hebrews passage where it says that he scourges every son whom he loves, Mm. that we should receive these blows as from the hand of a father that loves us and has a good design in them. 
And I think that is, that's the one part, but he even says, um, he even goes on to the evil of temptation is overruled for the good to the godly. And he speaks about the ways in which um, our own struggles with sin might in fact be turned to our good by causing these different things. Um, They cause us to pray more. Uh, They cause us to have a more correct view of ourselves that it actually it actually causes an increased gratitude for God's grace when we when we see and experience our own sin and he makes the good point that this is not this is not to say go and sin the grace may abound mm-hmm. um, but this is to say that even in your temptation and even in your failings don't despair that God may have some good design as the outcome of that. And he gives a number more than I can recount here, but he gives a right. number of good solid again concrete biblical examples of how that exact thing bears out in the lives of of saints in years past. Now he also goes into some detail and you you alluded to this earlier. He also goes into some detail about what it means to be one who loves God and is called according to his purpose because as you said, this isn't a text that's applied or a promise that's uh, applied indiscriminately to the entirety of Humanity. This is a, a text I, for believers. And I have read theologians, not Reformed theologians, who have made this argument that this is just a blanket promise to all mankind generally, and there's a kind of universalistic overtone. Um, I, I think even of like Lamentations 3, where God says, if he causes you to suffer, will he not also show you mercy? And again, that's for his elect. That's mm-hmm. for his. That's for those who are called. So Watson gets into this. Who has a right to claim uh, or to receive any comfort from this cordial that all things work together for good. And the first thing, first he speaks about why they work together for good briefly, because God causes it to be so. So mm-hmm. he's trying to say, it's not just a, a natural result that all things work for our good. It's that God designs and purposes it, and he brings in a, a consideration of divine providence. But then he turns a corner about in the middle of the book, and he starts speaking about who, in fact— has claim to these promises, and he begins where Paul does, uh, for those who love him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he has a whole chapter on what it means to be a lover of God. And if you're going to receive encouragement from this text, uh, it can only be if, in fact, you love God. And I think he, again, gives great both motivations for the love of God, and then also gives some great counsel on what it looks like to love God in your daily walk uh, with him. Well, now let me let me break in and ask a couple questions. Then one is, I, and I think you've you've made this obvious in the way you've explained it. But the audience, I mean, you would put this. I, I think I'm I'm right in saying you would put this book in the hands of of any Christian. I'd even go a step further and say, didn't you say to me that this might be the first banner book you would put in the hands of? It of is, Christians? and and I have actually a number of years ago. Uh, we had a a good friend in our Bible study in Los Angeles, and I I gave him this book as a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. You know, cost me cost me three ninety nine, and I thought it's a great book, and I'm going to give it to my friend. And he told me uh, after the fact, after he had read it, that when I gave it to him, while he showed gratitude, that he was when he saw that it was a Puritan paperback, he was really discouraged. He had he had not gone to college um, mm-hmm. at the time, though not now. At the time, he was a jackhammer operator in the for the LA Unified School District. Mm-hmm. And he he told me that he thought to himself that he thought perhaps my expectations of him were much too high, that he couldn't 
even before opening the book, was hopeless that he was going to read it. But I think maybe out of out of personal uh, devotion to our friendship, <laughs> he was going to give it a shot. So he took it to work, and on his lunch break at work, decided to try to to begin to read through it. And he told me, he said how surprised he was. Yeah. That he read the book thinking, I'm not going to understand a page of this thing. He'd get to the end of every page and think, I understand exactly what this is saying. And it sort of opened up that world of literature to him, this encouragement that he really he really could read it. Well, it's a testament, too, to how clear many of these writers were. And that that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Sometimes when we read Puritan writers— the natural assumption is this is how we should preach today. Do, do you feel that way when you read Watson? Do you think, you know, we need more preaching like this? It's it's a great book. I agree with you. You could put it in anyone's hands and, you, you know, it should get as wide of distribution as it can. But is it is it good preaching? Yeah, I do think so. And here's why. Um, I'm committed just to verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture. And yet sometimes in a verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture, there's good occasion to to linger for a while over particularly potent texts uh, and give a kind of protracted expository series of sermons on the meaning of that one text. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think in a past episode, we talked about preachers that yeah. had an impact yeah. on us. And I mentioned uh, John MacArthur, who for, for many years was my pastor. And uh, as I recall, this was how he would preach. It was verse-by-verse exposition, but sometimes he'd come to a, a pericope and he'd just camp out there for six right. or 12 weeks on just a few verses. Um, not that he wouldn't, you know, get moving again, but sometimes a text can be exposited in a way where we do actually, where the exposition isn't merely textual linguistic, but it's also um, conceptual and doctrinal, where what you're opening up is you're opening up the whole doctrinal background that makes this text so powerful. Uh, and I would argue that for for a great example of somebody who is tied to the text and really is expositing the meaning of a particular text, but over some time, I think this is a great example of really ex- expository preaching in its kind of more doctrinaire mode. Well, the title of the book, again, is All Things for Good, written by Thomas Watson. It's inexpensive. You can get it on the Banner of Truth website for a little over $7, probably about the same on Amazon or something like that. So it's worth it's worth buying a copy and reading it if you haven't. It's also worth having a couple copies on hand so you can give them out to people. And I know both James and I would really uh, recommend that and commend this book to you. And and we're also going to have um, a copy to give away. If you want to go to placefortruth.org, you can click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be a place for you to enter your name and information with the possibility of of winning a copy of All Things for Good by Thomas Watson, but we would we would commend it to you. And James, thanks for walking us through it and telling us a little bit about the the influence the book has had on your own life. Great. Thanks for letting me talk about a book I love. <laughs> well, we're glad you listened to James talk about a book he loved and loves. And uh, we're always glad for our listeners and glad for your feedback. If, if some of you are able to donate. You can do that on alliancenet.org, placefortruth.org. There's a donate button. But as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.